Hi, everyone. This is Todd Fuller, Marketing and Communication Director for the Missouri State Teachers Association. And this is another episode of MSTA Presents. Uh, it's a weekly podcast. We talk about education issues that are directly related to the association. And then we also like to talk with individuals that um, may not necessarily be related with MSTA, but they have insight into education issues that affect all of us in the state. And that's the case today. We have with us Mallory McGowan. Mallory is the Chief Communications Officer for the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Hi, Mallory. Hi, Todd. How, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being willing to talk talk with uh, me today. I, I wanted to talk about a few things going on with the department. Um, one of the uh, uh, one of the first things we wanted to, to talk a little bit about is the Blue Ribbon Commission. Um, a lot of our members uh, have been following the commission, but but of course, not all of them have. And uh, there have been some developments, some things have happened over the course of the last few months, primarily back in October. But I, I thought it would be important for us to kind of get caught up, find out where things are, and then maybe a little bit about where, where they're going here in the future. And then if we have time, we'll talk uh, maybe a little bit about substitute teachers and some of the changes that are coming there as well. But I was hoping we could start with the Blue Ribbon Commission. And Mallory, I know that the assumption you and I have been kind of immersed in it. So we assume everybody in education and beyond knows what it is, but I know that's not the case. So I was wondering yeah, if we absolutely. could start with a little bit of, of background on what the commission is and, who, yeah, and absolutely. what they did. So in uh, about this time last year, in uh, late November, early December of 2021, the State Board of Education was working on finalizing uh, what we call their legislative priorities. So uh, a list of a document that details the things that the state board as a whole feel will really move the needle in education during the upcoming legislative session. And last year when they were prepping that document for the 2022 legislative session, it became clear that we had to uh, start getting really serious as a state about this conversation surrounding teacher recruitment and retention. We um, have a crisis on our hands, um, as many would say, and we um, at the state board and at the department want to be facilitating the right conversations uh, to move the needle there. So the state board members um, ultimately decided a blue ribbon commission made up of some educators, but really focused on bringing a new stakeholder group to the table and to the conversation, and that is business leaders throughout the state. So there were uh, members chosen from each congressional district that have a different makeup than a lot of our education uh, committees, commissions, task forces, what have you, have been made up of. There's been a lot of question about that. And I, I think what we want to be crystal clear on for folks is not that we think um, that educators don't have a place at the table. That couldn't be further from the truth. truth. But the idea behind that was we need to start sharing this information with a broader audience. If we want to see change and we want to uh, find partners to help us see that change come to fruition, we need to start bringing different people to the table, uh, um, having a broader conversation. And that is what the Blue Ribbon Commission aimed to do. The group gathered for the first time in June of this year. So early uh, months of this calendar year were spent identifying members uh, putting the group together, really grateful to the Hunt Institute for their collaboration and helping us facilitate the group um, and work with them on their recommendations. They first met in uh, in June for their first meeting, 
and had monthly meetings in June, July, August, and September, and then presented a final list of recommendations to the board at their October 2022 meeting. And the charge put out in front of them was pretty simple. We really, uh, the state board asked the commission to develop a set of clear, actionable recommendations that would present a sustainable solution to teacher pay in our state. So you and I both know, Todd, that the, the concept, the issues around teacher recruitment and retention really are, are twofold. There's two buckets, or I often refer to two sides of the coin. They both have to do with value. And the first side of that coin is the obvious pay. We've been talking about teacher pay in this state for decades across the country for just as long. So it is not, um, it's not new to the conversation to be talking about teacher pay. The other side of that coin, the other issues that need to be explored are a little more abstract, a little more difficult um, to present, excuse me, to present solutions on or about. And that is how do we value the profession of teaching? This is a career that many believe is a calling. How can we elevate that profession more? How can we professionalize this career more? And I can talk more about what I mean about that. But that was the real um, charge to the Blue Ribbon Commission. That is quite an undertaking. So they needed to divide their work up into two. So they first tackled teacher pay. And that is what the immediate short-term and long-term priorities they stepped out in October all center around teacher pay, but want to be crystal clear that the plan at this time is for the group to continue meeting. Uh, It may be that we bring more people into the group or change the structure somewhat, but ultimately that the Blue Ribbon Commission as uh, an entity would move on to study climate and culture and working conditions uh, related concepts into the new calendar year in 2023. So their conversation and their work is not over, but they have fulfilled the first portion of their task, and that is uh, presenting some solutions on how to address teacher pay. You know, I, I think one of the the values of having individuals outside of public education is kind of what you said, Mallory, but you open their eyes to some of the things that might be happening in education uh, that they might not have thought about. I, I know the issue that we hear a lot from our members is talk about student behavior. Um, is that the kind of thing that they've already talked about or something that they would pro- be talking about in the future? Yeah, that is a portion they talked just a small part about, really as a look ahead to what would be coming in that next phase of work. Okay. Absolutely. Student behaviors, um, one of the key issues identified among teachers uh, that discuss um, challenges related to retention, challenges to staying in the profession. And so that's what we will be looking at, or rather the commission will be looking at through our facilitation over the course of the new calendar year. Yeah. And and really, I think, Todd, the, the conversation about professionalizing this career, it, you know, I've I've spent over a decade in school PR, and this is a conversation I've not been a part of a whole lot. And that is the idea, the expectations for the teaching career, the the day-to-day working hours of a teacher really are quite different from other careers. And if you aren't uh, um, in this space of K-12 education, that might not be something that you realize, uh, you know, teachers listening, I don't, I wonder if when you're around the holiday table this year, 
you would ask other uh, family and friends sitting around the table how many of them uh, face some of those challenges that you face. If someone, uh, if a colleague isn't there that day, mm-hmm. um, how how your meal breaks are handled, what the expectation for you is outside of the standard contract hours or working day. And the analogy I use all the time with other media partners and getting out, getting folks outside of K-12 to understand what I'm talking about is this analogy with an architect. So it is um, standard practice that an architect would meet with clients during the day, but then it is not the expectation that that architect, that she goes home at night and maybe she has a family and makes dinner and puts her kids to bed. And then the expectation is that she's drawing up plans for that client at night. Not Mm -hmm. saying that doesn't ever happen, but that's probably not typically the expectation. Whereas for teachers, that oftentimes is exactly what they have to do every night. They have a planned time, but IEP meetings have to take place and um, colleagues' classrooms have to be covered if there's a substitute shortage. So this idea that the expectations look very different for teachers. How can we maybe even talk about flexibility and scheduling? You know, teachers have a really difficult time just making appointments for themselves and getting to the doctor and and doing those kinds of things. How can we make this a profession with more flexibility? Um, Those will be some important conversations we start having over the course of the next year. But as you know, that looks really different and that is difficult to shift our system into that new way of thinking. So it's going to take some time in a real collective effort, but we're excited um, that the conversations are happening. You know, Mallory, your example is much more professional than the one I use with my friends and family, which is, do you have to schedule your time to go to the bathroom? Exactly. And and the answer is almost unanimously no. Exactly. Um, But if you're a teacher, actually, most of my family are teachers. So half of them say yes and look at the (laughs) other half like, how about you? So yeah, I, I I understand completely, and and there are several different examples, anecdotes that um, educators could share that um, are, are surprising, I think, to those outside of education. And so, from that standpoint, I see value in having individuals that may not um, completely understand what it's like to be a to be in public education uh, or yeah. to be in you know to to be in a school building every day um, yeah. to to get some sense of what that's like. I would say, Todd, the the other thing I want to say, though, to educators across the state is when you're sharing about some of those challenges of the job, boy, I really want to press you to also share about the awesome things that led you to being a teacher and why you love coming to work every day. I'm sure every day is not the same level of joy that you have walking into the building. That's probably the case for all of us in our working lives. But there is something that calls you to this profession and the, a real sense of joy. I know my teacher friends get out of the job. And that's also, though, what we need to be sharing. Part of this work in this second phase of the commission's conversations will be elevating the profession. And if all we do is talk about the challenges and we don't really um, regulate ourselves and discipline ourselves on talking about the great things that come along with the job, we're really doing ourselves a disservice and really um, shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to the recruitment aspect. You know, if, if people continue to talk about a job that is 
so overwhelming and um and and don't share this other part of the narrative it will be more and more difficult to attract individuals to the teaching profession and and so the commission has talked about that and that's going to be a a difficult uh a difficult task because we do know so many educators right now find the career so difficult they would have a hard time encouraging their own children maybe to to pursue um this career it you know commissioner van dieven will talk about this and it's one of our favorite things that have happened this year when we were at Hancock Place High School in the St. Louis area presenting one of the 2022 Milken Educator Awards, Mark Garasha, the teacher that won that prize there, said, you know, I don't, um, when he came to our State Board of Education meeting to get his award and his uh, resolution in his honor said, when I when people hear I'm a teacher, I don't want them to feel sorry for me. I want them to be jealous. And we have to get this profession to that place. It is such an incredible job. I tell reporters every day, it's the it's the job that trains all other jobs. It's the mm-hmm. jobs. It's the profession that prepares all other professions. And um, we need to value it as such, and we need to find a way to attract um, the best and brightest folks that we can into that. And ultimately, that's what the Blue Ribbon Commission's recommendations are trying to do here. And first address um, it. I hate to call it the low-hanging fruit, but it is the very obvious piece that we can uh, talk about and can maybe more easily be um, um, dealt with in policy or legislation, and that is teacher pay. So yeah, you see those recommendations spelled out from them at the October board meeting. Some immediate priorities um, they laid out are really those ones that will be most turnkey, most easy to do. The department um, seeing these coming down the pike from the commission, uh, the department has included these in the budget request sent over to the Office of Administration and the governor's office in advance of next year's legislative session. So all of this is really moving in the right direction. But first and foremost on that list is changing in state law, changing the statute that says the minimum teacher salary in the state is $25,000, raising that minimum to at least $38,000, if not Mm -hmm. higher, but also putting in legislation that there should be an annual review by the Joint Committee on Education to ensure that figure remains appropriate and competitive, especially as we look at our border states. So a lot of people hear that and they go, well, wait, didn't we just change the minimum salary? And I, I really want to stop people there and make sure we address any confusion what was put into place last year and what many of the people listening to this might be benefiting from is a one-time teacher baseline salary grant program. Obviously, incredibly grateful to Governor Parson and the legislature for putting this into place. What it allowed us to do is um, find a way to reach every Missouri teacher who was making less than that $38,000 and provide a state match to support um, the funds needed to increase their salary. Again, one-time money. So this first priority that they spelled out um, makes a permanent change in statute to that minimum salary. And in the meantime, recommends continued funding for the baseline salary grant program in case that isn't uh, doesn't come to fruition in this first legislative session. Then you see in the short-term priorities, they expand on that idea 
to establish what they call an equalization or a stabilization fund, some type of fund at the state level to help school districts who are struggling to take on that increase in their local salary schedule and move everyone, uh, move that base, uh, that bottom rung, that bottom step on the salary schedule to move that to $38,000 and then adjust for compression, et cetera. That's going to be a a lift for some districts financially. And so creating some sort of fund at the state level to support school districts who might not have the local revenue needed to do that. So that is um, among the, when you look at the recommendations from the commission, it's important to think of them sometimes in a chronological fashion like that. When you think about the immediate, the short-term and the long-term, some of those um, have a connecting thread. But obviously, in addition to changing the statute, we're looking at um, continued annual funding for career ladder and um, additional sustainable funds to support grow your own programs across mm-hmm. the state among those other immediate priorities. So um, really thankful for the commission's work. And now what we're trying to do and um, thankful that this group really put their heads together. Nothing was off the table. I think that's really important for educators to know. They took that feedback that we gathered in August um, from educators across the state, really left no stone unturned, looked at all options. But in a local control state like Missouri, it is really difficult to find the silver bullet that works perfectly for everyone. So I think what we're trying to do here is piece together some options that provide just that options mm-hmm. for different LEAs who have different local needs and different um, um different financial situations and salary schedules at the local level. Yeah, I, I know that teachers understand the, the financial picture for Missouri, but I don't think a lot of Missourians understand how uh, education, uh, public education finance uh, functions. Uh, they, they like to compare what we do to other states, and it, it's not com- comparable necessarily. And I, I think that it's important that people realize there's a distinction with how, how a, a state as um, vast as ours in terms of rural community uh, school districts and and urban suburban school districts, um, how how they all function and how they um, how, how they're funded on the not just the state level but more importantly in a lot of cases how they're funded on the the local level and it's it's vastly different from one community to another uh, versus other states even surrounding states for Missouri. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and one of those you know examples is, you know, you don't have to look any further than the Blue Ribbon Commission's report, one of their long-term priorities that they listed um, that needs to be um, looked at changing is among the um, among the articles of constitution Mm -hmm. that could be updated, um, there are provisions that prevent the state from supplying any kind of salary supplements or bonuses to teachers. So throughout the pandemic, we heard other states at our level, at the state education department level, using relief funds to push those down to teachers and school personnel who we knew were going above and beyond amid the challenges of COVID. But there are um, uh, laws in place in Missouri that completely prevent us from doing that. And that's something teachers had a hard time understanding. It's not really been an issue before. Just little things like that. uh, are just not typically things that we talk about day to day. So it has been a real 
Um, what I hope eye-opening conversation for commission members and people who've been paying attention. And now we will um, we will watch and see what happens, but we yes. are trying to be more hands-on than that. So that is why we have scheduled um, our public engagement meeting series um, across the state. We um, are in um, the last remaining uh six meetings and I, I I won't talk too much about dates so you don't have to uh, change those but if there um, are any meetings uh, still on our uh, agenda that uh, you can get to we would really encourage educators to come out and um, there might be um, some information or data that you weren't aware of but we also talk about how educators can help right now how important it is to be having this conversation, with friends and family um, over the holidays at the uh, at the dinner tables, and really talk about both of what I just said: the challenges that are being presented, the joys of the profession, and then give those friends and family, you know, something that they can do to help. And we talk about that at the public meetings. Let them know the options to get their substitute teaching certificate. Maybe they want to. Um, ask their employer if they could substitute once a month um, mm-hmm. to help out. Maybe they want to, um, you know, their church or their volunteer group wants to come in and help make copies or do other things. There is a so There are so many things that we can be giving um, concerned citizens, supporters to do in the meantime uh, until we wait and see what legislation is filed and what options might uh, be presented during the session this year. I know we could probably talk about the, well, <laughs> not probably, we could talk about the Blue Ribbon Commission for another hour or so. Um, and uh, hopefully at some point, uh, you and I can have another conversation down the road, maybe after the first of the year sometime to uh, to see where things are and kind of an update. Um, b- before we wrap up, I, I just briefly wanted to talk about something that's going to be in the news over the next couple of weeks, and that's uh, substitute teaching. Um, I, again, those of us in education know that what is coming is something that already has is is here. Um, but I, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about what uh, people may have heard in the news today about substitute teachers, uh, the recommend or uh, the requirements for being a substitute teacher, and how that's uh, how that is. It's already changed, but it's uh, the the rules behind it are being uh, kind of put into place. I'm not explaining that the best way. You can do a better no, job. No, no, no. Well, I think, hour. you know, I think just like we um, have been working on trying to address teacher recruitment and retention, we have had a growing substitute shortage problem in our state for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I will tell you at the department, that's difficult for us to quantify because as many of uh, those listening know, an individual could obtain a substitute teaching certificate and then he or she could never go on to substitute teach. So because we are not at the state level in charge of um, hiring and assigning substitute teachers to 550 plus school districts across the state every day, that's done at the local level. So what we know are the number of certificate holders. There's plenty of certificate holders across the state. They're just not actively subbing. So we were already experiencing a substitute shortage and then COVID. And we knew at the department we had to, you know, one of the North Stars that we committed to uh, very early on in the pandemic was trying to provide every flexibility 
that we could possibly come up with for schools to continue educating students, providing some kind of learning opportunity, and to ensure schools could continue feeding and supporting students and families. So when we look at removing barriers, one of the things we talked about was uh, piloting a 20-hour online substitute teacher training program. So previously in the state, the only way to obtain your substitute teaching certificate was to have 60 uh, semester hours of college credit. And and Um, let's be clear. I don't know if everybody realizes that could be in anything. Precisely. It could be in, it could be in anything. You could have 60 college credit hours. um, You were studying to be a botanist. That, that alone you could send in um, your transcript that shows those credit hours. The department has you fill out an application. We undergo um, the background check and fingerprinting that are required. And then you are eligible to substitute teach and a local school district would hire you uh, to substitute teach. So then we brought on this new online training program. And what we wanted to do was see, um, see how the program would work see if we had buy-in or uptake from users, and then get some data from school leaders. How how did this work? What is the difference between a candidate that has 60 college credit hours in anything, such as botany, and as someone who has had 20 online training hours, specifically teaching him or her how to be a substitute teacher? It doesn't probably take a whole lot for you to jump to the assumption that someone who has gotten some very specific training in the job in front of them may do better. And that is what we were finding. We got great feedback from school leaders and so much so that put this um, what was going to be a temporary rule into a permanent rule um, earlier this year. So the options in front of us were 60 college credit hours or you could take an online training program that the department uh, administers through a third party. Then there was a change in legislation that now puts the department-approved online training program in law, but it also now drops the number of college credit hours someone is required to have from 60 down to 36 hours. And so that required a change in DESE's rule, now that the statute has changed, the legislation changed this past session. So there was a change in the rule that was needed. Uh, We posted that rule for comment. And like you said, Todd didn't get any comment. So the state board will be having a a quick virtual meeting on Monday the 14th to approve that rule so that that change can go into effect. What I think is important to talk about is that the background checks, the fingerprinting, absolutely none of that has changed. And I think we are, again, trying to just come up with different levers that we can pull to create some positive change. What are some options that we have available to us here? And um, I am excited that more and more people continue to take part in the training program, Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Todd, but it's uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of substitute teachers that have now gone through that training. And um, we're excited about that. But again, they could get that certification and never um, move forward with substitute teaching. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the really um, uh, obvious ways that we're promoting during our public engagement meetings that individuals across the state can help. 
Uh, we've, you know, there's been stories across the country about businesses or um, uh, of different kinds and different sizes allowing, you know, paying for their employees to get their certification and then allowing employees to substitute teach once a month while they're also paid uh, from their employer. Um, just really great, innovative strategies that um, we're seeing and, and are really excited about. Yeah, we actually built out a resource page. Uh, one of our staff uh, interviewed some um, individuals in other states, uh, specifically Colorado, about how they had um, created a program for businesses to allow their staff to take days off, uh, paid days off, um, and or in some cases, the days off and they were paid by the school district. Uh, but either way, they were given the opportunity to take off to substitute. Um, and, and some businesses have uh, been successful with creating those programs for themselves. So we kind of created a resource page. We haven't really promoted it much yet, um, but we're going to start that process uh, in the coming months. Um, Mallory, I could yeah. probably there. Th these are just two topics. Uh, we, you and I both know uh, that the individuals that are spokespersons for their organizations usually get about 30 to 45 seconds to say something. So once in a while, it's nice <laughs> when to you have give the me a long format like this, Todd, I'm, I'm bound, I'm bound for trouble. No, that's, you're absolutely well, no, right. These that's are the such point. important that's the, issues. We could talk about them forever. <laughs> Well, I think sometimes it's important to have more of a long form conversation about these topics rather than just the sound bites that most yeah. of Missourians hear on the news. I I, I, I don't think that we uh, give uh, individuals the opportunity to hear uh, more in depth about what's happening with um, topics such as the Blue, uh, Blue Ribbon Commission or with substitute teaching, several other topics that we can talk about down the road. But I appreciate you. Uh, being willing to give me some time today to talk about these two topics. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. If anyone is interested in reading the Blue Ribbon Commission um, recommendations in full, seeing what additional public engagement meetings we have on the calendar um, through November, you can visit DESE, D-E-S-E, DESE.mo.gov slash BRC for Blue Ribbon Commission, or just jump onto Desi's Facebook or Twitter pages and you can see that graphic with that link there. Would love to have you at the meetings. Um, there'll be lots of great conversation like this, our question and answer sessions. Um, we have used the entire time to have some really great dialogue with folks who've been at the ones we've conducted so far. I'll make sure to put that link, the URL in the show notes so that people can get there uh, and, and take a look for themselves if they haven't done so already. Great. Um, again, Mallory, thank you very much. Uh, we, Like I said, hopefully in the future, you and I can have another conversation. Um, we're wrapping up, getting ready for our convention next week. So the uh, one of the last podcasts you'll hear from our presenters will also be taking place uh, this week. So you'll hear a, a few different podcasts, maybe two in one week, what, what is happening. Um, so I appreciate this conversation and uh, I look forward to seeing many of you next week at convention. And uh, if there's another topic or something you would like to uh, like us to cover, feel free to email us or email me directly at tfuller at msta.org. Again, I'll put that in the show notes as well and uh, look for another episode of MSTA Presents in the coming weeks. Thanks.